Welcome to UX Soup, our short-form podcast where you can join me, Lisa Cooper, and my colleague, Chris Schreiner, as we go beyond the buzzwords to talk about the latest user research, technology innovation, and all things impacting user experience and human-centered design of personal devices and services, whether it be at home or on the go. As always, UX Soup is sponsored by Strategy Analytics, a global research and consulting firm providing our clients all over the world with insights, analysis, and expertise. Welcome. My name is Lisa Cooper, and in our episode today, our topic will be about co-creation in research and design. The term co-creation or participatory design is something we referred to in a previous episodes and is the ultimate in human-centered research, as we literally include those affected by the solutions we wish to create as part of the design team. So today I'll be sitting down with Karen Purcell. She's gone one step further in terms of human-centered research and design by placing representatives of underserved communities they wish to help in leadership roles on the research team. Karen works as a principal investigator at Cornell University's Lab of Ornithology on various projects, but today we'll be talking more specifically about the NOISE project. The NOISE project is funded by the National Science Foundation and it seeks to co-create a mobile app for underserved communities to map out noise pollution in urban environments. Those co-created mobile apps will be used to help them understand impacts of noise pollution on their ecosystems and on their health and wellness, with the goal of creating sound refuges. At the same time as co-creating the app, the project seeks to co-create and fine-tune the process of leadership and inclusion of minorities in participatory citizen science research and design. So with that, I want to welcome Karen Purcell to the show. Welcome. Hi, Lisa. Thanks for having me. We have a lot to talk about today. I wonder if you could tell me briefly about how the Noise Project came to be and how historically underserved communities have been treated in the past by, by research groups. I am a principal investigator and I work very closely with four other principal investigators, but they belong to their respective communities in Atlanta, San Diego, Allentown, Pennsylvania, and in uh, St. Paul, Minnesota. And each community is quite different. And it is their expertise that really is guiding the work that we're doing. And we are one one small portion of the collaboration. What, what they wanted to understand was how, how do you co-create a community science project focused on a research topic of interest to the communities themselves? And how do you do that equitably? Considering that the systems in place in the sciences are uh, very inequitable. So funding is going to go directly to universities, for example, uh, for example, for research. And yet we then distribute those, the, the, the funding to the communities that we're working with. We wanted to do things differently in this particular research proposal to the National Science Foundation. We co-created the proposal together and approached the National Science foundation together. The proposal was to document the equitable or not equitable co-creation of uh, a community science project at the continental level. And we would do that through creating, co-creating together an app. 
that would uh, collect data and educate communities on noise pollution. The IT team that would create this app is is from the lab of ornithology. Mm -hmm. And so we didn't know how we were going to do it, but we knew that we wanted to use human-centered design and that we wanted to document the bumps along the road and learn from the process itself so that we can move the field of citizen science forward in terms of co-creation and working equitably to co-create uh, large community science projects. Could you tell me a bit more about where you are in the project at this time? Whereabouts are you with the app development and the process? Sure. We're in the third year, third and final year of the project. And we are just about to launch the beta version of uh, the app and spent really the first two and a half years of the project understanding how to co-create defining co-creation, who gets to call the shots, um, how do you support the IT team in co-creation when it's very a very different process from anything they've ever done before? And then how do you make sure that uh, when we're working with so many different communities and each of these communities is very different, Right. So mm -hmm. we, we, we're not working with homogeneous communities in any kind of way. Each community has a different set of goals, different background, different historical relationship with science and with the lab itself and with each other. It is quite the challenge. There's a process and there's a product uh, design going on at the same time so that you can replicate this process in the future and have more equitable uh, research in the future. So when it came to the product side of it, what kind of methods and tools helped you with this challenge of all working together when you're all coming from these different backgrounds and different relationships? Our community partners are really challenging us to think differently. In general, during our meetings, we take some time to connect with each other, to talk about community updates, to talk about challenges and successes in each of the communities. And this takes time. The community partners have created a decision-making tool, which is a way to reach consensus that's, you know, very um, outlined. It's very, it's, it's taken a lot of time to co-create that decision-making tool. But then we also have to have to balance that with the realities of an IT team that's being pulled in many different directions um, and have many different projects that they're trying to work on. So one of the processes that we put in place, this again was thanks to community partners that are brilliant leaders in, in, this, in this work, uh, was something that we call the app working team, which it, it holds a representative from the uh, co-PIs, a representative from the lab, a representative from uh, each stakeholder in the project has a different representative. And then we co-created uh, design principles that would allow us to make, as a team, the smaller decisions, and then to identify the big decisions that we needed to go back to the full community to get consensus on. It was a way to, to think about how we could try to balance the realities of the lab 
and the realities of the communities. We also co-created a animation working group that works parallel in parallel to the app working group that also holds representatives from each of the of the different stakeholders in the project to see how we would integrate the arts into the app, which is a huge component, a huge part of what we're trying to do, and how we could work with community animators to be able to do this in a way that would include the the perspectives of each of the communities. And again, when you have lots of different communities and lots of different folks who have lots of different opinions and lots of different goals, at some point, you've got to come to some decision-making structure and some some way to prioritize and, and um, pull it all together. So there is an aspect of this that is educational, about educating, as you talked about, people from the lab and having this communication um, between these community leaders and with uh, traditional scientists within the lab so that you can understand each other's worlds. Yeah, and I, th- I think you, you, you said it beautifully, right? It, it is education. And usually when we think of education, we think of institutions, universities, right? Educating the public. Yeah. This is very different. This is about educating each other, right? Mm-hmm. Becoming more uh, culturally competent at the lab so that we can better understand the communities that have been historically excluded from the sciences and whose communities in many cases have been used and abused by the sciences. Mm -hmm. And that history is quite present in uh, the folks that are part of this project. The other aspect of this that stands out is this need for the arts. Have you found that there is a mode of communication that works more efficiently with different groups? I would imagine that communication style is very different from the traditional projects within the lab. Very much so. Um, and that's always been a priority. So accessible dissemination of research, accessible uh, education, accessible communication. And one thing that's risen to the top has been the use of transmedia in communication, in dissemination, in sharing the results and in sharing the educational content. When COVID hit, you're you're geographically apart. I was wondering how those face-to-face gatherings were replaced, especially when you're trying to design something like this app and how being unable to to be face-to-face and having to do, I assume you did video conferences, video calls, things like that. What impact that had, or did it not really um, impact you all at all? It was something that you just took in your stride. Each of the communities that participates in this project, we're spread quite far apart, right? There are folks um, all over the United States and every corner of the United States, and, and in fact, Mexico and uh, as well. And so we were used to uh, meeting weekly, monthly uh, via via a teleconference. I think you know that that's just a part of our work together because meetings are are are, are hugely important. Um, uh, we don't we don't make decisions in small groups. We make decisions as as a whole. But the the difference was that periodically it was essential to come together in person, to connect with each other, 
uh, to work through differences because there are differences. There are huge differences, different perspectives, different approaches. And that time together is essential to be able to work through that. And it's really during the in-person times when we have done a lot of the work that guides us. All of those uh, components of the project that are really the backbone of the project, all of those happened in person. They yeah. need to happen in person where you can see each other, where you can be with each other, where you can work through things. And that's that's been a challenge because we haven't been able to meet in person. Yeah, that's difficult. So what advice would you give to research and design groups if they wish to undertake something similar to this? I, I think that the key is working in equal partnership with communities, with the folks that you want to co-create with, right? We're not looking for feedback here, right? It's it's not about, hey, let, why don't you test this out? Mm-hmm. It's about the original ideation. It's about working through challenges together. It's about taking the time to listen and to listen to not just what's immediately needed for the development of the product, but it's also about the humans that are part of this work and what it is that the humans are going through, what it is that the people are going through, what it is that their communities are going through, how they're being impacted by current events, how they're being impacted historically by their relationship with the sciences and technology. To be able to work in this kind of way that where there is an equal exchange of expertise and knowledge and that equal respect, I think, creates a very different kind of working environment um, that could be very frustrating to some, yet it has so much potential to, to really change the way that we do science and the way that we, we do technology. When it came to the design process, I imagine it's, it's a bit of a diff- different beast because you don't want the design team to create lots of ideas and put it forward to the team. You're wanting to create those ideas together. Was there a, a method or way that really helped the most in sharing ideas or coming up with the different prototypes for that design? All I can say is that w- that it was incredibly messy. That that when we first started doing this work, there were so many ideas that we didn't know what to do with all of those ideas, right? So, right. so what do you do with a whole bunch of different ideas? How do you pull them together? The IT team was frustrated, and you know there was also a lack of how do we communicate with each other, right? The IT team is used to using technical language. Uh, because they tend to work within them, you know, within a a very insulated group. Um, And the community was, why are you using this language that we don't understand? Could you you speak our language? So there were all kinds of tensions and uh, messiness that came along with it. We tried doing interviews with each other. We tried big meetings and brainstorming meetings. We tried collecting ideas in a Google Doc that then we we put into different buckets. Uh, there were so many different things that we tried. Eventually, what, what really helped was uh, the last in-person meeting that we had uh, where 
we spent a good portion of a day working through ideas, uh, putting them on the board, separating into three different groups and prioritizing, you know, with, uh, with, with little stickies and then developing themes. And we did this in three different, within three different separate groups, separate rooms. And then at the end of all that came together. And there's two things that happened that I thought were really remarkable. One is that this took a lot of work. Um, it happened in separate rooms. And when we came together, we were so surprised to find that there were common themes that that held across all of the different groups yeah. that really helped us narrow down. That was really exciting. Yeah. And then one of our community members said, I, you know, this was this was after a long day. It was in the evening. We were all tired and moments away from wrapping it up. And he said, I don't want to throw a wrench into this, but do we even need a nap? <laughs> and, you know, it, it just threw everything into chaos. But that question, that constant questioning yeah. and discussion was necessary. It was, it was absolutely necessary to talk about that because what, you know, that, that's something that, that was on everybody's mind in terms of how difficult the process had been. And whether we really could come up with one app that would pull together everybody's hopes and desires for an app that would do what they, you know, their communities were, were hoping to get out of it. That's interesting, because that's one of the benefits of including everyone in this process and co-creating it, is that you'll have a lot of ideas, but it was the thing that actually made it more difficult, but you overcame it. Right. Um, by doing, again, in-person collaboration, that would have been much yep. more difficult, I imagine, had you had, to, had you had to do that remotely via video. Absolutely. And, and also, again, you know, I have to acknowledge the frustration of the IT team yeah. who is overwhelmed with all of these ideas. I could imagine if I were in their position, you know, I, I don't have the training in, in communication and in cultural competency and all of these things that are essential for this to be successful. And I have to be doing, you know, 10 different projects and maintaining for the rest of the lab. H how do I manage this? And how do I manage my time? And how do we end up at the end of the project with something that nobody wants because there's so many different folks pulling in so many different directions. And so it's it's a little terrifying and yet also just so rewarding and so beautiful. And again, the processes that were put in place, the decision-making process that comes to full consensus, listening to everybody's voice yeah. and acknowledging everybody's voice, the full process in terms of coming to those decisions and in terms of really listening to everyone and, and considering everyone's thoughts, not just feedback, not here's an idea. What's your, what, do you like it? Yeah. It's really something very different that we're trying to do. And also, you know, talking about things like cultural competency that are really problematic. How do you talk about that without putting people in the hot spot and having people really feel a sense of shame, which none of us should feel right. None of us is culturally competent. 
we all learn a little bit at a time and, and, you know, hopefully work on ourselves to become more and more, but none of us is even close to, to being there. And there's a right way to, to create apps. Do you hand over the specs sheet to the IT team who then goes into their cave, mm -hmm. they produce it, they bring it back to you. Then you go, yeah, that's that sort of one. Let's test it out with a few people and then you're done. I'm 100% convinced that being forced to sit through meetings where you get to listen to the lives of people yeah. as humans helps you co-create better. It helps you create something that is more human. Promote empathy and you can yeah. do a much better job. And at the end of it, you will have a much better product if it's, if it's still relevant, if you still want to do the app. And you'll come up with a really good set of guidelines for this to be replicated in other situations yeah. that then others yeah. can build off of. Yeah. So, but the, the issue is you're always going to have these amazing ideas and there's going to be so many of them. So it's like a double-edged sword. It's, it's one of the huge benefits. It will meet everybody's needs much more effectively. But at the same time, then you have to corral all those ideas and figure out a process for deciding on one or multiple or whatever you need. So Karen, where can people go to find out more about the research you're doing on the Noise Project? So we have a website. It's uh, the Noise Project. Uh, I'm sorry, noiseproject.org. I, I really recommend that folks go to the about section and to the process section in particular. In the last uh, six months of the project, that's when we're really going to focus on uh, sharing uh, what we've learned through our uh, documentation of the process, but also the research that we've been doing together. There are two workbooks in the resources side of the website that talk about uh, and share some of the research that we've done in terms of equitable collaborations and how to do these kinds of projects. And I guess the one thing I would say is don't, don't look for funding and start something without, without the community that you want to work with, right? Don't, don't. Uh, make sure that you're working side by side even before you look for the funding. Thank you so much, Karen. I, I could talk to you all day about this topic, but unfortunately, we have to go. So, But thank you for joining us today, and I wish you all the best of luck with the rest of the project. Well, thanks for having me, Lisa, and uh, it was a pleasure to be here. Really fun. A reminder that UX Soup is presented, as always, by Strachy Analytics. Check out our latest user-focused insights at sa-ux.com. And please also remember to subscribe, like, or review UX Soup on your favorite podcasting platform or by visiting our show page at ux-soup.com. You can also visit the show page to follow myself or Chris on LinkedIn or Twitter. That's all for now. Thanks for listening. <laughs>